0: Welcome to a drink with a friend. I'm Seth Haynes.
1: and I am Tish Oxenrider.
0: Tish, yeah. This is the this is the traveling edition. I'm uh, my audio quality is probably going to be a little bit compromised. I'm mm-hmm. on not vacation. I am on work <laughs> travel, yeah. which is it's not the best. But I'm I'm I, I'm potting today. Yeah. So I hope you can hear me. Can you hear me? Just fine, no problems. Okay, great. Well, yeah. To the extent that the uh the listeners uh have a problem with I'm sorry. It's, sometimes yeah. you got to travel. You got to do what you got to do. It's all right. It's all right. Yep. Yeah. So, um tell me today yeah. what is it that you're drinking?
1: Well, I was saving um opening it until we hit record so that we had sound effects. So let's see if we can hear this. Is that a good sound effect? Oh, that was and, nice. Okay. So I'm drinking, it is called, the brand is Austin East Ciders. It's from here. And they have all kinds of flavors, but this is a blackberry cider. And I have never had it before. Um, And it's kind of sweet. Kyle just got it for me from the grocery store because um, this past weekend we were in Asheville. And there were a couple of times I tried to get a cider that just happened to be blackberry. It wasn't so much that... That's my favorite or anything. And they were out. So he thought, oh, she might like a blackberry cider. It was very random. He's, yeah. He doesn't normally, I mean, I don't know. I like cider. It's not like a thing I live or die for. But hey, so he brought this for me and he said, maybe you could drink it while you talked to Seth. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So that's a good one. So take out. a sip. Yeah.
0: yeah. Tell me what you think.
1: And it is good. I don't like ciders that are sickly sweet.
0: Like
1: okay. they taste like fruity beer because they basically are fruity beer.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but
1: that one's good. It's more tart than uh sweet. So thumbs up for that. Okay. okay. What are you drinking awesome. out of that hotel cup?
0: Well, you know exactly what I'm drinking. It's not hotel coffee though, because no matter how much I want to not be this. So, uh, you know, shishy. um, mm-hmm. I, I, the hotel coffee, I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am drinking hotel tea. Yeah. It's the little package from uh, Coffee Bean Tea Leaf, but it's the <laughs> English breakfast tea. And I okay. will tell you, um, as bad as hotel coffee is, hotel tea is equally as bad.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it usually so, is.
0: It's not, I mean, listen, it is what it is. You make do with where you are. When you are out and about and you don't have the comforts of your home, that's right. Sometimes you reach for a glass of coffee bean English breakfast tea.
1: It just sounds are, as good as it if is. Nothing else.
0: <laughs> mediocre. Right. <laughs> um, and this is not sponsored by Coffee Bean English breakfast tea, uh, but yeah. Coffee Bean English breakfast tea, if you would like to sponsor us, don't yeah. reach
1: out. Right. I was going to say that just sounds like a string of adjectives. I don't even know how to make sense of that brand.
0: Yeah. So, coffee yeah, Bean English breakfast tea. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, um, hopefully you'll be in the comfort of your own home soon, right?
0: Um, that's the hope. Well, let's all cross our fingers. Let's all cross our fingers. So yes, last week we got together and we shared stories, um, my story in particular. And the reason that we're sort of thinking through, um, stories, the reason we're sharing stories is, you know, we, we believe that it's possible to experience uh, the good, the true, and the beautiful—the truly uh, divine, the transcendent, the numinous, whatever you want to call it—in um, life, and that that is often expressed through just everyday happenings, the things that just make up a story of a life. Mm-hmm. And so, we decided last week that we would begin sharing um, that we would begin sharing some stories, just a little story here or there about. How we experience the good, the true, or the beautiful, or how we experience sort of a transcendent moment. Um, and I shared mine last week, and it was quite long. <laughs> uh, and so we just decided to push and to share your story this week. And so that's what we're doing. This is part right. two of a continuing conversation. And I think it's our hope that as we share this, that um, the listeners out there would sort of take the time to identify some of their own good, true, and beautiful moments, their transcendent moments, the moments when they felt something sort of break through from the other side. Um, And that they would write it down or share it with someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But today, it's your turn to share your story.
1: Well, I was inspired by how you chose to tell a story that you have already written about, yet you added more details for those of us that didn't maybe know the kind of thing behind the thing of um, your story of coming into sobriety, but really a lot more than that. And I got to thinking about what are those moments in my life that perhaps seem um, obvious enough that I have written about them, but um, haven't really shared maybe a little bit of the details. So with that in mind, I thought I would park a little bit about the time when Kyle and I met each other. However, I'm going to take it a little bit farther and talk about a particular moment when I kind of realized he's going to stick around for a while. And this sounds already really schmoopy, but I don't really... I mean, and yes, there are reasons for that, right? We just celebrated our 19th anniversary. So Mm -hmm. he did, in fact, stick around a while. But um, it's, it's a little bit more than that. And so that's where I'm headed with this. So a lot of my readers know how Kyle and I met. We met in Kosovo in the early 2000s, late 90s, around that time period, we were both over there. um, And when I say over there, I mean the Balkan region, which is Eastern Europe, east of Greece, kind of south. And this is an area that has long been war-torn, has even longer been um, a feuding kind of place where tribes and families and cultures and people groups are you know, hold grudges longer than the um, who are those famous Hatfields and McCoys here in yes. the U.S. But we're talking like a couple thousand years kind of Hatfields and yep. McCoys. So that's yep. the place that this was at. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, some of the listeners that are of our age perhaps might remember a guy's name uh, of Slobodan Milosevic, who was the dictator, the Serbian dictator at the time that Um, had control over this tiny little area called Kosovo, which is predominantly Albanian. So um, long story short, there was a horrible genocide. Lots of people died. Lots of people had very, very sad stories because of this man's dictatorial, tyrannical ways. And eventually the United Nations got involved, sent in troops largely um, led by the Americans and drove Milosevic and his forces out. I am painting this with a really broad brush. I'm not getting into the nuances of the politics or the history. But generally speaking, the Albanians of Kosovo became free. However, um, that did not mean they had any sort of infrastructure. In fact, it was very much a big mess. They had been a marginalized people group for decades and decades. And so they didn't have not only the resources to... Um, rebuild, so to speak, but they didn't have even the, um, I don't want to say the wherewithal, but the uh, training resources, that's not the right Mm -hmm. word, I can't think of it. But either way, um, they depended on help, really. And so this is when outside uh, resources came in to help hold up the scaffolding while they got themselves um, on their feet. And that included both military and government helps and non-government, nonprofit helps. And so the country's government was largely run by this thing called K4, which is the military joint efforts uh, of the U.S. I want to say it was prominently the U.S., the British, the German, and then a few other here and there countries. But it was like an amalgam of all these different countries that were part of the United Nations that. Chipped in basically some troops to help um, for several years. And so you see these military bases all over the place that are makeshift, but there to almost be forms of like consulates and government mm-hmm. outposts, really. Um, and then there was also a huge need for nonprofits and that's when Kyle and I came in. So I was there, this was right after I graduated from college and I was there to help teach English. Now it sounds a little like that would be a weird need of theirs, but it actually was not because English is the second most, or no, English is the most common second language in the world. So to know English Really means opening doors for lots of job opportunities, and it keeps you, um, it keeps your resume up to date, so to speak, because it allows you to um, work in fields perhaps that you would otherwise be limited to. Especially if you come from a small place like Kosovo, so there is a need for learning English. It's not just coming in and you know colonizing the place. It um, it means, for lack of a better term, that a lot of young people can get jobs in Europe or the Middle East, or Asia, things like that. So they're not just yeah, stuck yeah. in a dwindling economy. Kyle was there because he is a con- he was a contractor. And so he knew how to rebuild houses. And obviously, after a genocide and a war, uh, a lot of people needed homes rebuilt. So he was there to help rebuild houses and to teach how to rebuild um, basic carpentry. And so we were both there with two different nonprofits. So that's just setting the stage. Uh, Kosovo at the time was very, primitive sounds, um, that sounds like I am, I don't know, taking a shot at Kosovo, but I don't mean it, because I think they would probably say that to my Albanian friends, looking back, Um, they were societally, culturally, you know, infrastructurally at minimum 20 years, quote, behind a lot of other, um, more developed areas. So, for example, their roads were not great. They didn't have a good highway system. And so it, it made getting around difficult. Things yeah. like, um, Public transportation was almost a non thing. They did have buses, but it was a very um, haphazard sort of situation in terms of reliability. And you know, if there was a heavy rain, that meant the roads were muddy, and it's not like the bus is going to get there to your little village, and which means you can't get to your job in the city, which means you know a domino effect of whether you get to feed your family that night, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And and so it it was kind of a hot mess of a place. So um, it also meant. Power, electricity was off and on here and there. You know, sometimes you had it, sometimes you didn't. Same with water. Any sort of basic things like that. So I am there in this tiny little town called Orlan, which is, I want to say, a thousand people. I can't remember. I always heard anywhere from 500 to a thousand people. (laughs) Little village, in other words. Yeah. It was two kilometers from the Serbian border. And so we were near places where we would hear gunshots in the distance. Um, we had a border control, not too far from our village and you had to watch out for landmines. So Ooh, you, couldn't, wow. you couldn't just go on a walk in the grass and not have to watch your step constantly kind of a place. Yeah, And, and so we're talking a little bit, I don't want to call it scary cause I never felt scared, but it was just um, maybe unsettling. I, I, yeah, maybe unsettling. You just never felt like you could kind of relax, crack open a beer, and put your feet up there. <laughs> you yeah. always had to and be. And when what on. year was this? this what was, year was this? Um, let's see. I first went there in two thousand, and then I came. So I was there with a group in two thousand. I came back in early two thousand one to be there longer term to teach English, um, and it was so. Mm-hmm,
0: so by this time, the Serbian-Albanian war was was over.
1: Right, it was over. And K-4 was fully in place. So the place was run by outside forces. And this meant that you would go into town and eat at a restaurant that was Albanian-owned, you know, locally owned. But all around you could hear about 10 different languages because there would be the Spanish military over there having dinner. There would be the Germans over here having some kind of meeting. There would be the Japanese, you know, teaching something to a local, it was a very fascinating time to be there. And I was 20, what was that? 23, something like that. And this was an era when I was just basically walking around with a big question mark on my Mm. heart, really, because I had long felt that I was a little different than my peers. Um, I went to the University of Texas, a big public university, yet I still found myself um, in a friend group that was a little bit more of the traditional mind when it comes to sort of what the game plan is after school. Most of my girlfriends, college roommates uh, got married It was kind of a joke that if you roommate with me, you'll get engaged because I ended up Uh -uh. having, I ended up having eight different roommates because they all got engaged. Like, holy moly, I would have one and then they'd get engaged. Then I'd get another one to get engaged. So it was kind of a running joke. Um, And it was funny. There were times it was frustrating, but mostly it was just kind of almost like a, huh, good for them, not for me kind of situation. It wasn't that I had no interest in getting married. It was just kind of one of these like. I want to go do stuff first kind of feelings that I always had. And so um, I was never disparaging to my friends who chose a more conventional, traditional path. I just always felt this like, what else am I here for? Yeah. And is there something I could do before I settled down? And I, yeah. and you know, no fault of of the men folks' own at my university, but I never really met anyone that I thought I want to settle down with you. Um, well,
0: yeah. And I'm, I mean, part of that, Tish, is that you're in Texas.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. no
0: offense to our Texas male listeners. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm in Arkansas. I had to take that shot, it just had yeah. to happen.
1: It's good. So, all right. Anyway, you know, for, so I'll forward you all the letters. Um, I, I
0: appreciate that. You're, you're from Texas. You're now yeah. <laughs> uh, overseas. You're not married. You're right. always the bridesmaid, never the bride sort of right. thing.
1: Um, yeah. And so
0: take me, here you are, here you are in this foreign country where there are landmines and gunshots and Japanese mm-hmm. teaching children things across from Spani- Spaniards drinking yeah. uh, their fine wines over, uh, you know, mediocre Albanian food.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I was loving it. So to me, there were moments when it was challenging because I was lonely. You know, where I had lived at the time was largely by myself as a single young American. There was a missionary family that lived above me in an apartment. But otherwise, most of my friends were young teenage Albanians and or older teenage Albanians. But they were my students. They were the people that I was um, there to be with. And. I loved him dearly, but I also missed a little bit of my own um, ilk, you know, people that maybe were like-minded. Well, the summer before I left to go back to Texas for a few months before I came back, I had met Kyle. Um, It was a very brief encounter. And this is the stuff that I had written about. I had met him. Um, at kind of ships passing, he had just landed and was going to be there a while. I was just about to leave a few weeks later. We met, we can mark an X on the spot in the dirt road, exactly where we met. We remembered the conversation and um, it wasn't so much like sparks were flying left and right. We just both kind of had this like, huh, you're a cool person kind of moment. He had just moved to Orlon right when I was leaving. Well, a few months later when i had come back by then he had moved to another village. So I knew that he was about an hour away in another small, but not quite as small as mine village. And um, I knew he was out there doing his thing and I was here doing my thing. But because of the lack of infrastructure, we did not have much of a way to communicate. Um, internet was spotty. And I, neither of us had phones. My neighbors upstairs, the family, the American family would let me borrow their phone at any time, but he didn't have a phone. So <laughs> who am I going to call? And Um, He had a work vehicle for his carpentry, but I didn't have a vehicle. I was dependent on that bus schedule and that bus system. So it was very touch and go when we would even see each other here and there. Um, There was never a predictable, like we couldn't do a, we tried it for a while, like among a few other single people there working with nonprofits, hey, let's meet in the capital city on Wednesdays at seven. And we did that a few times. But then the rest of the time, it was like this doesn't work because either the bus system was down or it was raining or there's no electricity or whatever. Um, But he would have a reason to come in every now and then because he was still friends with some of the people in my village. So he would come in every now and then to visit. He will tell you now he looks back and sees that it was also to perhaps see me and see if I happen to be Mm -hmm. in town at the moment that worked out well. But by and large, we were just a friends is what we called it. Like we would, we were in that just friends stage by and large, like no doubt about it. Um, And I lived on the main street of town. I mean, there's only one street. It was a dirt road and I could hear his janky VW bug uh, van coming down the road because it was this, it was in terrible shape um in order to use the accelerator he you know the the engines in the back of a vw yeah, yeah. he had a rope tied to it where he could pull it from the front seat because um it didn't the accelerator somehow didn't work up front uh, oh my goodness, certain, that's awesome in, in certain weather and it was also a manual so he had to figure out how to steer and shift and pull the accelerator with a rope at the same time so i could hear him coming a mile away Uh, from my kitchen window. And that was always a fun little treat. Like it's a Kyle day. That's so great. Um, I have time with a friend. I at the time really did like him, but I wasn't admitting it to myself nor to him for sure. Um, But slowly over time, we would start spending a little bit more time together here and there. You know, I was there mostly teaching English. He was there mostly rebuilding. So we were there to do our jobs. But back in the, you know, in our minds, it was, um, we were on each other's minds simply because it was lovely to Have somebody in the general vicinity that we felt like was a kindred spirit. You know, you're a little bit weird. I'm a little bit weird too. (laughs) But I mean, by by nature of what we were doing, we were there. Yeah, Um, yeah. Okay. So, long story short, this is a few weeks into September. Actually, about I want to say two weeks after September 11th, um, 2001. My parents were coming to visit, which is fun. Uh, I never thought that would happen. They are not big travelers, but I think they had taken you know, decided when is uh, our daughter ever going to be in this part of the world again? Let's go and um and explore it with her. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is an amazing experience. But holy cow, my parents are coming. Uh, because of said terrible infrastructure, it was really hard to fly into Kosovo. Sometimes mm. you could, but you usually had to hitch a ride with like a, um what do you call those? Uh, it's not a cargo plane, but it's a, uh, it's a word that starts like a with pu- C. Like a puddle jumper. Kind of. Right. Right. And the they were usually ex, uh, expired planes. Like, that was kind of how Kyle and right. I called it. The planes that the Russian airlines no longer wanted to use because they were in right. too bad a shape. Like, you would land and some of the seats would, like, fall a little bit, you know. Um, and so, it was a little bit touch and go to fly into Kosovo. But you could fly into a number of nearby countries because Kosovo is tiny. It's the size of Rhode Island. So, it's really little bitty. Um but you still had to figure out how to get into Kosovo. Well, I was very much of the mindset that we would just figure it out. That's how I lived most of my life at the time. We'll figure things out. And um, so when my parents came in, they were going to fly into a town in Macedonia called Skopje or Skop. It's uh, the Whoa. capital of Macedonia, which is the next country over. But it's and it's part of the former Yugoslavia like Kosovo, like Serbia, but um, it was Cyrillic, the language, like in Serbia, completely different language, like not even remotely near Albanian. I couldn't make my way through it because there's no crossover really in the grammar and completely different money. Um, So they used, they had their own Dinar. Um, Kosovo used German Deutschmarks at the time because they didn't have their own currency. And so that's all I had. Well, my parents are flying into Skopje and I realized I should probably go get them and bring them over. This is the mindset I had in my early 20s. of like, oh, they might want some help. Uh, they're not big travelers. They probably don't want to cross over. Well, anyway, so I decided I'm going to go over to Skopje, meet them, and then we'll figure out how to get back. Uh, usually it's yeah. a bus. Um, sometimes it's several buses because you have to, like, get off and then walk across the border or um, somehow get across the border and then get back on because taxis can't cross and all that stuff. I figured I would just figure it out. Well, I go to the capital and I get a bus um, ticket to go over the border. The only thing available was that evening. Um, so it was a night bus. I wasn't thrilled about the idea, but I had no other choice because I needed to get there in time for my parents. Yeah. And um, you know what, now that I think of it, they flew into Greece and then took a train over to Macedonia. That's what it was. So they had already been on a train for a while, my parents, and they were going to get off the train in Macedonia. Very brave of them looking back. Good for them. Um, this is not their normal thing, where it was a lot more, you know, what I was used to. Anyway, yeah. so I yeah. had uh, gotten a hold of Kyle earlier and asked him if he would be willing to go with me. And the reason is because it, it it's not so much it was like, really, really dangerous for a young woman to be on her own. But it was maybe a tiny bit, because of just how dicey everything was, how the, the country, Albanians are Muslim. And so they do skew a little conservative. And so it's not so much that they um, flat out don't respect women or something. It just they, it, they notice when someone is on their own, a woman is on their own just because you don't see it as often there. yeah, And and so you're just kind of like um, putting a spotlight on you when you are an American young woman traveling by yourself in this part of the world. Um, so I asked if he was willing to go, but he couldn't because he had a work thing. And so I was disappointed because, I mean, not only would that be nice to have someone else there, but also time with Kyle, um, but I understood it. Well, I get on the the bus and I forget how many hours a bus ride it is. It's a number of hours. It's like two two and a half off desk Kyle um and it's not a pleasant bus ride. It's bumpy. The shocks are gone. it's smelly, it's full of cigarette smoke. you know, and as the sun is setting, I'm kind of realizing, huh, I don't really have a plan <laughs> like yeah. i'm gonna I'm gonna get off this bus and just sort of figure out how to get to the train station for Did you speak
0: the language? Did you not
1: understand a, the language? I, I spoke Albanian, but I did not speak Macedonian at all. And so okay. I could speak enough to get on, you know, to buy the bus ticket, to talk to the bus driver if I needed to. But once I was off the bus, there is nobody I would probably be able to interact with. Um, English was not very predominant here, so <laughs> I'm realizing, huh? Yeah. That would have probably been smart of me to come up with a plan because I'm going to get off the bus. It's already going to be dark and I need to figure out where the train station is. I'm not sure where the train station is. Keep in mind, this is also pre-smartphone. So it's not like I just look something up. Right. Um, and I didn't yeah. have a phone on me anyway. So it was literally going to be a, like, at like play charades with somebody, hopefully nice. And is not going to take advantage of me being a foreigner and young. Um, to tell me how to get to the train station and then pick up my parents. And then from there, figure out where we were going to stay that night. Um, Perhaps get food if they were hungry. I didn't know. Uh, With not with the local currency. Like, I don't know what I was thinking other than I was in my early 20s. And I was just so used to like living by my whims because that's what you do that I just didn't think through things. Anyway, I started realizing this on the bus like, oh, shoot, I have no plan. So I get off the bus and it's dark. And when you get off a lot of these places, um, it's sort of like a gauntlet of people trying to sell you things like, um, especially if you're a foreigner. So there's all these taxi drivers offering um, to pick, to take me somewhere. And usually it's a good idea to not go with the people right there because they will overcharge you. And so my plan was to get off look straight and not um, make eye contact with anyone for a few blocks, go somewhere well lit, like a main park area and then get a taxi from there. That was my thought. But of course I had no idea if I was even going to find one. I mean, as far as I, as far as I knew, like this bus stop could have been on the outskirts of town, nowhere near anything. I was just totally yeah. placing a bet here. So I get off and I hear all these guys, it's all men saying something about like, Oh, American girl, you want, you want taxi, 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 Um, I have nice, you know, they'll sell you things. I have chai, I have tea, I have, um, coffee. I've got, you know, whatever off brand. I have a date in North Face. Yeah. Right. Um, And so this is when you don't look anyone in the eye and you just walk straight. So I was used to this. This happens in Kosovo as well. So I was just looking straight ahead. Well, then there's somebody behind me, you know, a few of them still follow me for a while, but eventually they get the hint. Like, I mean, business, I'm not going to give you the time of day. Um, There's somebody that kept following and he was walking and he started walking a little faster and I was like, okay, I'm staring straight ahead, (laughs) really and truly, I'm going to pick up my pace. And I hear him and he's saying just like all the other guys. Oh, American, Uh, you need taxi, you need ride, I give you a good price. And I'm really freaking out inside, inwardly, like, oh, gosh, this is the story when I die. Um, And he's making speed, he's outpacing me. And he is now on par with where I am next to me on my left. And I'm freaking out. So I'm looking straight down. I look a little to the left. And I notice that I recognize the bottom of that shirt because I've seen it before. And so I bravely look up trying not to make eye contact. And it's Kyle. Ah, yes! <laughs> it was Kyle. Yeah. So
0: Way to go, Kyle.
1: he had managed to get off work early, I think perhaps even like I don't know what he did. He he talked with somebody to to get out of the job, and he went to the he ran to the bus stop hoping to catch the bus with me. And he got there just a little too late, like barely, just a little too late. So he got a taxi driver. Uh, you know, keep in mind we're both young, early twenties. We don't have a lot of money. He paid the taxi driver to follow that bus. <laughs> That's what he did. Literally, he just said, follow that bus. And it was a several hour taxi ride. In fact, it went all the way to the border and he couldn't cross. So he had to get out, run across the border, do the whole passport control, get back in and get to the bus. I don't know how I figured it out, but he did. It cost a lot of money. Like taking <laughs> a taxi is so much more than a bus. But this was the moment when I realized I'm going to be okay. This is the first time this whole day where I was feeling like I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be all right. I've got this guy here who is going to take care of me. And we were just friends. But I also knew in that moment that um, we weren't just going to stay friends. I And it's a weird thing to say because I had no basis for my reason for that. But I just kind of knew. I don't know. When you know, no, you know, he, I guess.
0: I mean, come on. I mean, he, so this, you know, if you're telling me the story in a vacuum, I can tell you, you knew immediately. Like if I were writing this story, that's the end of the story or that's the beginning of the story right before we start talking about, you know, how to build a marriage or the the story <laughs> of your family trees or whatever. It sounds like the beginning of, you know, I don't know, some Terrence Malick film or something. Like, right. At that point, you have to know, right, that yeah. you like them. And you have to know that he likes you,
1: yeah, I mean, you don't just do this with a friend when you I don't know, I mean, maybe some friends are really great, but um I don't know you know when you're he was in his early twenties as well, and it's not like he knew what he was doing, but he was willing to risk not knowing what he was doing to help me who didn't know what she was doing either. And we would not know what we were doing in Macedonia together is really what it comes down to. So he, he also, he's just really good at directions and figuring things out. He used to be in, um, in Oregon before this, he was on a search and rescue team um, for lost backpackers and mountaineers and rescuing them. Like this is kind of his thing is helping people get where they need to be. And so, even though he didn't know Skopje either, he, of course, figured out where the train station was. And I knew as we were walking there, like, I would have no idea how to get here. I'm so grateful he is with us. So he walked with us. He walked with me in the dark to the train station. He met my parents for the first time there. So that's how he met my parents. And um, it turns out they were starving. And he had some drachma. I did not have any money because I was an idiot and wasn't thinking about it. So he had the local currency. The only place open at the time was McDonald's, of course. So we went to McDonald's, which is very sad and pathetic, but what were we going to do? And he just, and he didn't know the money. He just had it. So he just put it on the counter and just asked the girl, like, what will this get us? And we bought just like some cheap burgers and, and made do with that. And then he figured out where to get cheap hotel rooms for the night. And then we got back to Kosovo. And he went his way. I went my way. But then he ended up hanging out with us a few days in Kosovo. Um, and that janky vehicle I was talking about, he took my parents and I around it's a cargo van with no back seats and no windows. Like it looks like you're gonna kidnap somebody with this vehicle. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but he had some cinder blocks that he turned into a bench seat for them to sit on. So <laughs> he's back What's there. It? He put my parents back there, and um, this is how we gave them a grand tour of um, exciting Kosovo. And my parents said that they just knew at the time, like yeah. this is our this is our daughter's person. Like they just yeah. knew, and. They probably knew before I did, honestly. Um, They could just tell. And they loved him from the get-go. Like, they they thought he was fantastic. I mean, the fact that you're just there to save their daughter, who is being an idiot, is probably a bonus for sure. But um, I tell that story to think about how God leads us a paver at a time. You know, those garden paths that are made out of stepping stones, that leads you somewhere, but they're just rocks with dirt and mud and grass in between. And um, you're just following the the pavers. You're not really knowing where you're going. If it's like a, a garden without, you know, much of a view that God usually just shows us what the next paver is. Mm-hmm. And there is absolutely no way on earth I would have ever guessed in a million years where I would be today in 2021. Yeah having to celebrate my 19th anniversary with Kyle. And I know everybody says this, like, you know, our paths always take turns. We never guessed, but I really and truly never would have because when, once we started dating soon after we both got back from the States and then we were married less than a year later, we both assumed we would be living overseas the rest of our lives. Like that was actually one of the selling points of each other is that we didn't have to convince each other that this crazy way of living was a good idea. And so we just assumed we'd be raising kids in a different culture and doing this whole thing. And here we are like a few miles from where I grew up. Kyle would have never in a million years chosen Texas to live in. You know, he's from Oregon and loves the mountains and we're choosing to stay put for a while for the the sake of our kids and their stability. Um, and we, we were just saying last weekend on our anniversary that, you know, we miss that those people in us that want to come out and play the, the, Fly by the seat of our pantsers, the the yeah. travelers. Yeah. But it's also okay, you know. Like yeah. we're we're okay. We that part may come back eventually, maybe when we're empty nesters, or maybe not. But um, it's just comforting, I think, sometimes to look back and see where God has led you. Whenever you never would have taken those steps on yeah. those pavers at all on your own because it seemed too ridiculous, you yeah. know.
0: And the truth is right now you're only on the paver that you can see, right? Right. There's a, there's another paver tomorrow. And there's no doubt in my mind, if there are two people I know who have adventurous spirits, I would say it's you and Kyle. And so there's no doubt in my mind that the next paver, the next 10 pavers from now, I don't know. um, You guys will find yourself to adventure again. I mean, if there's one thing, one thing that we've learned from Dave and Karen, (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's that life is yeah. you are never uh too old uh to try something new and do something amazing. Um Dave and Karen, again, our weekly guests that we discuss, the purveyors of your, your local coffee shop who are just uh, just far
1: enough ahead of us
0: that they uh-huh. give us hope of being cool when we're in our uh, you know what, fifties?
1: Uh yes, yeah, my guess is late fifties. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks, uh-huh. Dave and Karen.
1: Thank you. For- and you don't even know we're talking about you. Cause you don't even know we have a podcast. I don't think, I'm, yeah. I don't think I've ever told them that I have a podcast. So, you know,
0: it's okay. Un- it's a, one day they'll discover it and they'll realize that they've been our, <laughs> they've our been our mascots. Yeah. 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 For, for these, this entire time. But, exactly. but But in all seriousness, I mean, even looking at, at people uh, that are ahead of us and just saying like, you know, there are seasons in our lives. There are times when we're adventurous and there are times when we have to be more stable. And you and Kyle would have certainly never thought when you're, you know, uh, slumming it around Kosovo that you would have found yourself in a little house in Texas with a handful of children and, you know, going on a college tour. Right. Um, right. It would have, it would yeah. have never crossed your mind that that's what, you know, life would be like in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty yeah. cool. That's a cool story. That's a great story about yeah. how amazing things sort of come from little, you know, little innocent, um, you know, choices like, Yeah. I'm just going to go follow this girl to Macedonia.
1: I know. I know. Most people don't know where Macedonia is. I probably wouldn't have known where Macedonia was before that either. And honestly, thank God, right? I mean, thank God our early 20 selves aren't in charge of our lives the rest of, you know, the rest of our waking hours because we would make some stupid choices. It's like a few episodes ago when um, our listener was asking what we would tell our 20-something selves. Yeah. be you know have these moments and it's okay that you don't know what you're doing because wisdom is earned you know Yeah. and so i i'm so grateful for the things i have learned and that's not to say i have arrived either like you say you know the the Karen and Dave me is is down the bend and i look forward to that but in the moment i'm going to be my middle-aged self and go on college visits and be okay with being here you know and that my Absolutely. life is really about going to the grocery store and making dinner and and having coffee with neighbor friends. And that's okay. And it's just as much an adventure, you know?
0: Well, I love your story of adventure. I always love your story of travels. And I think if any listener here has ever been to Macedonia and has a similar (laughs) Macedonian story or any Macedonian story, really, you should share it with us.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah.
0: By email or something. Just get in touch with us and tell us about Macedonia because I know nothing about it.
1: Well, I mean, they could use that phone number we have, right? The um, You could call and leave so us. good. I'll put it in the show notes. Um,
0: that
1: would be great. That would be great. So on that note, Seth, um, apropos of nothing, um, I want you to tell me what you are reading, watching, or listening to right now that is adding more beauty to your life. What you got?
0: So this is a really difficult one for me um, this week because I, for the last really three weeks, I've been sort of in all our work mode, but um, I think we've talked about this Typhoon uh, released Mm -hmm. a new album this year. And I haven't really listened to it. Like I haven't really spent the time with it that I needed to. And part of that's been work, but part of that was like, I love their last album so much that, you know, it's like you did. I didn't want to ruin it. Um, and so finally today and yesterday, I guess it was the last three days. Really. I've been listening, um, to their latest album and it is amazing. It's called uh, sympathetic magic. The Mm. album is called Mm -hmm. sympathetic magic and I've been listening to it on repeat. I love it. It's vile sometimes. Uh, it's sure. beautiful sometimes. It's depressing sometimes, but it is mm. utterly human.
1: Nice. Nice. I I don't doubt it, but it's always relieving because, you know, you hold such high expectations. Whenever a writer just writes a phenomenal book or a musician puts out a fantastic album, you almost feel badly for them. It's like, how can you top this? Yeah. Like, where um, do you go from
0: here? Their Their yeah. last offerings was literally a transcendent album. Like, probably mm-hmm. one of my top three of all time.
1: Right. Um, right.
0: So, anyway, and I think uh, maybe we talked about that last week. Maybe that, maybe I had that back on repeat a couple weeks ago. Um, sure. But anyway, sympathetic magic. If you have not listened to it, listen to it. Um, it is not for the faint of heart. I will say that.
1: Mm, however, really. Okay. So, in any it's event, okay.
0: so enjoy it. Yes. Uh, Tish, All right. What are you listening yeah. to, reading, watching? Or, whatever the potpourri category, whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that is bringing you more truth, beauty, or goodness.
1: Well, I have this little bitty tiny book that I know a number of my subscribers have read because they told me so this week. Um, it is called The Quotidian Mysteries by Kathleen Norris. Who have you ever Ooh. read any of Kathleen Norris's? She wrote I have, um, yes, a number of things. Okay, well, she's an interesting lady. And um, it is this book called The Quotidian Mysteries, subtitled Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. It's a tiny little thing because Mm. I believe it's a collection of a series of talks she gave. Um, And what she's doing is she's tying um, a thread between monastic living and uh, I don't want to call it motherhood because she talks about how it's not about motherhood. It's about the ordinary daily life at home of a woman. And it is Mm. really fascinating how she weaves these two ideas together and how, you know, we, she doesn't use the term domestic monastery, but it kind of has that concept, but she just has a lot of good thoughts here. Sometimes it's a little stream of consciousness, but I don't mind that, especially because it's short. It's really short. It's like, yeah. A, the pages itself are small and the whole thing is less than 80 pages. So yeah. it really is small. She's a poet. So she's got some really fun poetry about, you know, housekeeping, about homemaking. And it's, it's kind of a thing I didn't know I needed. It's been sitting on my shelf for several years. I think I read it soon after, probably around when I came back from Kosovo, soon after we got married. And then it felt a little heady, a little too high church for me at the time. Yeah. Um, and then it's just kind of been collecting dust, honestly, but I picked it up again because I wanted something nice and short to read on my flight last week, um, that I could just read in one sitting more or less. And so I picked this up, dusted it off and reread it. And it has so much more meaning to me now that I'm in a different stage Ooh. of life. She invokes a lot of St. Ignatius, who we talk about a lot here on the show. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> um, because uh, she gets into a lot of just the spiritual disciplines of ordinary life and what it looks like to give God worship through your cleaning, through your just day-to-day obedience. And so she has here, it's kind of a quote within a quote, because she is quoting Gerard Manley Hopkins, who mm. is who is writing about St. Ignatius Loyola. And so this is Loyola. really a quote from Hopkins about Ignatius from Kathleen Norris. But it's just so good. I wanted to read it here. It's it's not only prayer that gives God glory, but work. Smiting on an anvil, sawing a beam, whitewashing a wall, driving horses, sweeping, scouring. Everything gives God some glory. If being in His grace, you do it as your duty. To go to communion worthily give, gives God great glory. But to take food and thankfulness and temperance gives Him glory too. To lift up the hands in prayer gives God glory. But a man with a dung fork in his hand, a woman with a slop pail, they give him glory too. God is so great that all things give him glory if you mean that they should. Mm, And so that's that's ultimately what the book is about. I loved it. Um, It's a book to savor and read slowly. And I think a lot of our readers and listeners would like it. So I will add that along with the new album from Typhoon in the show notes, as well as the number two call us. So... With that in mind, it's time to wrap this up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com. If you like the show and what we're doing here, help keep it going by picking up the next round of drinks. More and more of you are doing that and we are very grateful because the show is free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. So, at the cost of a cup of coffee or a pint, you can play a part. Again, you can do that from the show notes in this episode or at a drink with a friend.com. And thank you in advance. Uh, you can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at tishoxenrider.com. Seth, where can people find you?
0: Haynes.com.
1: All right. Music for the show is by Kevin MacLeod, and editing is by Kyle Oxenrider. I'm Tish Oxenreiter with Seth Haynes, and we will be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening.